I have a an interview with Senator Steve Daines. I wanted to chat with him as he was fresh back home from Ukraine. He was actually visiting our NATO allies and then got the invitation to go up to Kiev and, and see what was happening in Bucha. And if you don't know, just horrendous crimes being committed uh, by the Russian military there. Uh, and it, it's tough to digest uh, firsthand. But Senator Steve Daines was there. And, and surprisingly, what you'll hear in this, you know, it, it, there are still a lot of other officials and a lot of other countries that maintain their diplomatic presence in Ukraine. Uh, the U.S. was not one of them. But uh, one of the results of him being there is that they made a request. He and Sparts, Victoria Sparts, she's a congresswoman from Indiana, and she is actually uh, from from Ukraine. And I wanted to get those firsthand experiences. And that's the first question here, too, is, um, you know, as as you get over there and you see these things, and I know they leave an impression because we've chatted with uh, Kathy Trainer, who was over there as a nurse um, or an EMT, actually, volunteering her time there. And those pictures are imprinted on her mind. You cannot unsee them. And uh, that's sort of the case for Senator Daines as well. Of course, he's a um, a high-ranking U.S. official and has has perspective on that as well, uh, too. But that's the first question there is, what was that firsthand experience? And then how does that firsthand experience possibly shape uh, policy beliefs? Well, first of all, there has not been an American official in the Ukraine since the war began on February 24th until I went there myself. The American absence of leadership in Ukraine was conspicuous. There were 10 different prime ministers or presidents of European countries that had visited. No American leader had gone. I received the invite uh, from a Ukrainian leader, said, come to Kiev. We want to take you to Bucha and show you the horrible atrocities, the war crimes committed by the Russians. So I, I was actually taken by car from Krakow, Poland, to the uh, Ukraine-Polish border, walked across the border at night, then had another Ukrainian who, in a car who took me with a police escort to Lviv, where we got on a train. It's, it's the same train that uh, Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of the UK, as well as Secretary Austin Blinken would have taken to Kiev. It's about a nine-hour train ride at night. The train time to Kiev varies based on missile activity, and they told me that if there's missile activity, they'll slow the train down, they'll sometimes stop it, and I will tell you that train stopped two or three times on my trip to, to Kiev, so it's very much a real-time war situation. Got off in Kiev, I was taken to Bucha. Tom, I saw shallow graves and watching them exhume the bodies of children, a four-year-old, a ten-year-old, women. Uh, these are not soldiers killed in a military conflict. These are innocents who have been murdered, executed at the hands of Vladimir Putin. They wanted me to see this firsthand. Uh, and not only did I see it, it's images I would wish that nobody would have to see. Also, the stench of death was there as they were exhuming the bodies, processing them, uh, examining them forensically in tents. They brought in international investigators to do this. The French are very well known in doing these forensic investigations. They were there. It's a war crimes investigation. Uh, I'll tell you what, um, when I saw not only the, the death, but also destruction, I saw uh, residential complexes destroyed, just 
I mean, went on for miles, uh, destroyed. Th- these are not military targets. It's, it's civilian targets. You saw you know, retail centers, uh, a nursery. There was a maternity ward where women were giving birth that, that was hit by Russian tanks. Tom, it's, it's outrageous, and it was very important that an American got to see it and tell the world um, what's going on in Ukraine. Does it influence your policy beliefs there, and um, is there a sense of urgency that we haven't had before? Immediately after I left Ukraine, I put together a letter and sent it to President Biden. A couple of the key requests, one was to accelerate the lethal aid into Ukraine. This war is not going to end until Ukrainian, Ukrainians win it. Uh, the humanitarian crisis, the war crimes are going as we speak. Uh, this is all going to end only when Ukraine wins the war, not plays it for the long haul to weaken the, weaken the Russians, but wins the war. And that's a very important objective we've got to have going into this, because what's happening right now in Ukraine and the Black Sea is affecting the entire world, including the United States. You remember, Ukraine is a breadbasket of the world, just like the United States is. Our wheat exports are about the same globally uh, from Ukraine as well as the United States. But the other thing I, I, uh, I made clear to the Biden administration is it's time to reopen the diplomatic mission in Ukraine. Our embassy officials left and went to Poland. Many other countries have stayed there. Uh, Tom, the United States knows how to, under, how to operate in a wartime kind of environment. We've been in Afghanistan, Iraq, and other places where you can keep a diplomatic mission open. It's really important, both in terms of communication channels as well as what it says to the world and the Ukrainians that were there standing with them in this battle. So um, – I made that request, and I was very pleased to see two things happen. Uh, Secretary Blinken and Secretary Austin went to Ukraine the week after I went because we put pressure on the White House to send a leader there. And second, uh, they've announced now they're going to reopen the embassy uh, in Ukraine, and they've, they've announced the nomination of the current U.S. Ambassador to Slovakia, Bridget Brink. She will now be the new ambassador uh, from the United States to Ukraine. I spoke with her this morning. She told me that her plan is from day one, she will start her new job in Kiev. What will that do? As you said, other countries are there. Will the U.S. presence there uh, provoke Russia? And then I had one question here about this exit strategy for Russia. You know, are there concessions? Does NATO and the West have to figure out how Russia can get out of this? Um, or as you stated, uh, it's, it's just it's win. It is. No, I, I, I am not optimistic for a negotiated settlement. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, you remember when, when uh, Zelensky spoke in front of the Israeli Knesset over Zoom, he invoked the, uh, a quote from uh, Golda Meir, who, of course, was the Israeli prime minister during the War of Yom Kippur in 73. Oh, Golda Meir is Ukrainian. She was born in Kiev. Uh, and, and if you look at the quote that he, he cited in his address to the Knesset, it was, it was, the essence was these people are trying to kill us. Basically, a diplomatic outcome is not going to be possible. So this is going to be a war. There's going to be a winner. There's going to be a loser. And Ukraine must win this war. Uh, th- this has profound implications uh, for the world because China is watching what's happening as we speak, as they think about Taiwan. Um, uh, Putin has got to lose. And in terms of an off-ramp, an exit strategy, and escalation, listen, I do not support sending U.S. troops into Ukraine. I don't support a, a no-fly zone because that would either – whether you put troops into Ukraine or a no-fly zone, you then have the potential of having U.S. soldiers and or airmen in direct conflict with Russians. We can't let that happen because that is escalatory. However, we, along with so many countries around the world, can supply the lethal aid to the Ukrainians so they can win this war. Look what happened in Kiev. They, they repelled the Russians. Even our top generals thought 
that, that Kiev would fall in 72 hours. Remember, Zelensky was offered a plane uh, out of, um, of Kiev, get out of Ukraine by President Biden. And what did Zelensky say? I don't need an airplane. I need ammunition. And the Ukrainians have shown their ability to win there. It's going to be a tougher battle in the east and coming around the south. But if you look at what's going on right now in the Black Sea, if, if, the, Ukrainian, if the Russians control the ports in the Black Sea, you have a food security problem because the Egyptians, other African countries, the Middle East depends on Ukrainian wheat. If we have a famine that breaks out because of the food supply issues, that is another destabilizing force in the Middle East, which is something that could affect all of us. Is there unity in Congress or, or what's the, the, you know, in Washington, not just Congress, but also as you talked about uh, some faults here of the administration. Is there unity uh, or what's the mood in Congress? No, there's a uh, strong bipartisan support to supply the lethal aid. It's on two fronts. First, there's strong bipartisan agreement that we should not send U.S. force in Ukraine. There's strong bipartisan agreement that we should provide lethal aid to the Ukrainians. Uh, so that that's uh, that's the numbers are very very strong. And uh, I mean, there's a few outliers, but it's uh, it's. Uh, virtually everybody's behind this. U.S. Senator Steve Daines this morning had time for one more question. It regards energy security. He was just uh, in Baker, Montana with uh, Danbury officials as uh, they have, have moved things along with the uh, CO2 and uh, renewable recovery. Also visited Calumet, and we've talked about Calumet as well. They've got plans for low-emission renewable diesel fuel. And um, uh, I asked uh, about that visit and, and uh, you know, the, the importance still – uh, fossil fuels going forward for America, and it relates to national security. Europe is learning a very painful lesson because of their dependencies on Russian oil and gases. They started Germany was shutting down coal plants, shutting down windmills, shutting down excuse me, shutting down coal plants, shutting down nuclear plants, and and consequently, Europe has become completely dependent on Russia for oil and gas. We cannot allow that same crazy, far-left, greeny mentality to have its way in the United States. It's very dangerous. We need to think about renewable energy as expanding our energy portfolio, not replacing fossil fuels by shutting down coal plants and stopping pipelines, stopping oil and gas leases. Energy security equals national security. And President Biden empowered Vladimir Putin on day one when he was sworn in office by shutting down the Keystone XL pipeline, stopping lease, new leases on federal lands. That sent a message to Putin. And Putin has Europe right now over the barrel because of the dependencies on his energy. And as John McCain once said, he said, Russia is a giant gas station masquerading as a country. And that is certainly true today as we're watching Europe scramble, try to figure out where to go next. It's really important. America continues to produce oil, gas, and coal for the world. And that was U.S. Senator Steve Daines. had been well, actually the, one of the first U.S. officials to, to visit the uh, Ukrainian, uh, well, to visit Ukraine and witness things firsthand. And it was, uh, uh, I appreciate him sharing those firsthand experiences here. We'll take a break and come on back and we'll talk more uh, about the Montana State Hospital and Director of the Montana Department of Public Health and Human Services, Adam Meyer, will join us next on Voices with us.